Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. Have you ever said or heard somebody else say, I really appreciate how our CEO or executive director handled that issue in such a leaderly fashion? Probably not. (laughs) And that's not because you haven't appreciated how a leader handled something, but because the word leaderly isn't like a word. In the English language, we have the word leaderless, but there is no word for the opposite, no adjective that means to be full of leaderliness. We don't say they are leaderful, right? That's just not a thing. So I've been curious about this because language gives us insight into our reality and our world. I've been really curious about this for a long time. And given everything that's going on in the world right now, I've really been wondering, you know, does leadership have a marketing problem? And by this, I don't mean, do we hear about leadership enough? We hear about leadership a lot, but rather does leadership as currently conceived and packaged and marketed, do we have a problem there? Do we need to reconceive of leadership in a way that fits our current reality? I think the days of someone having a corner office or a title with the word director in it or something else that points to positional authority with that being synonymous with someone being a capital L leader or someone others want or will follow, I think that the, that's coming to an end. It's not over, but you can kind of see the power of those things diminishing. With Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement and the tectonic shifts that COVID-19 has thrown our way and continues to throw our way, it's dismantling this definition of leadership and replacing it with something that is seeming to be more inclusive and equitable, more attainable by more people by virtue of the fact that people are leading in shapes and forms we have not historically in the past acknowledged as leadership. Those without positional and organizational authority are having a massive impact. And, and this is, I think, what's so important and exciting and interesting is it's now being acknowledged. Right? That's not being acknowledged. So I think, yes, that's exciting. And let's also say it, you know, as, as humans, we crave progress, we resist change, and that's a bit scary, or it can be sick scary. So I offer this question about does leadership mean what we want it to mean? Or is there a different, more expansive way, more inclusive way of thinking about it? And if that's the case, what does that mean for marketing of leadership to the next generation or current generation, right? What does it mean for that? So all of this I offer as context to my conversation in this episode with Catherine Rochelot. She, Catherine, is all about leadership, impact, and business strategy. She is a three-time best-selling author, and she is really, truly, and you will hear it in almost every word she says, she is passionate about creating positive social change through business. 
She's the creator of the Recession Proof Business Blueprints, rather prescient of her, I would say, and the Impact Business Blueprint. She's a fan of what she calls the triple win approach to business, which is a new and I would say improved version of this term triple bottom line. So we talk more about that, what it, both what it is and why it might appeal more broadly and therefore be adopted. She's been in business for more than 30 years. And I mention this because that is so badass to be in business for that long for yourself. It's almost unheard of. I've been in business for myself almost 16 years and that's getting pretty unusual. So 30 years she knows her stuff about leadership and business strategy and impact. She thinks about it very, very deeply and shares what she knows very generously. Catherine is Canadian, which of course makes my heart happy since I'm originally from Canada. So I mentioned that specifically, well, one, you're going to hear that she has a little bit of an accent to, to my American listeners, to Canadian listeners. They'll be like, oh, there we go. She sounds like me, but you may hear that. Importantly, she brings and offers a Canadian perspective on issues of race and racism as they relate to this topic of leadership, of marketing, of impact, right? And so for American listeners, this may be a different perspective, right? And it may just land differently for you. So I want to mention it, flag it for you, and just see what there might be to learn across the border about, uh, and, and, you know, we talk a bit about the history of race in Canada and the United States and how, uh, by virtue of that, things play out differently in Canada and the United States. So I think that that's a really, it gives it a really unique nuance to this already very nuanced topic. All right. This intro is longer than usual, isn't it? I'm sorry, but all of that felt important <laughs> to the context. So Let's get into it already, shall we? Please join me now to listen to this conversation with Catherine as she talks about leadership, impact, and how not to throw up before networking events. All sorts of goodness coming at you. Let's get to it. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Erica. It's so great to be here, and, and I'm, I'm so excited to have this opportunity to chat. I'm excited to have you on the show for many, many, many reasons. We have many different directions and things to cover. But one of them is that you were based in my hometown of Vancouver, Canada, and this makes me happy. Ah, uh, yes, I love Vancouver, too. <laughs> now, are you originally from there, or did you make your way there? No, I made my way there. So I originally was born in Victoria. My dad was in the Navy. So obviously Victoria on Vancouver Island, about three hours from Vancouver, for those who don't know, is a major naval city. And so that's where I started my life. And then being a Navy brat, I had to travel across the country with my parents. And I ended up in Halifax in Nova Scotia on the East Coast, which is another major naval city. And so I did a lot of my growing up on the East Coast. But I also had the fortunate ability to move to England. Um, my dad was ex uh, on exchange with the Royal Navy. So he worked there for three years. And so I got to go to school there and to live and to travel. Oh, cool. And how old were you when you lived in England? I was in I was uh, 12, 13, 14. Oh, wow. Yeah, pivotal. Yeah. And so then I came back and we went back to Nova Scotia. I went through the rest of high school and university. I actually skipped a grade. So I finished university at 16 and or finished high school at 16, university at 20. And then I moved to Vancouver to do my internship because I started my career in dietetics. 
and I moved to Vancouver and loved it. Hey, I do not like winter, so I got there and that was it. And now I have a goal of moving back to Victoria because my parents now live there and it's like, okay, that's a great place to go. I can be close and, and uh, we have a lot of family friends and stuff in Victoria. Mm. Yeah. So Victoria's lovely. Vancouver Island is breathtaking. It is. It's beautiful. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a little mentally stuck up on graduating from stuck up, stuck on graduating from high school at 16 and college from 20. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, yeah, that's, that just feels young. Like you were just thrown out into the world kind of. I was. Younger. I was. But you know what? I think that, you know, I mean, obviously one of the things we have in common is, is, you know, looking at how do you market yourself? How are you a leader, you know, in what you do? And I mean, I literally, I jumped in with two feet. I knew that I wanted to be in a leadership role. I only leadership roles. I mean, right from my first job as a registered dietitian, I was in a job where I was leading a team. I was interacting with a team of, of employees and, you know, then had my colleagues and, and whatever. So I've kind of, that's just kind of been my natural. And then over the course of my career, you know, even getting into being um, self-employed and in Uh the field that I was in, and I worked primarily in food service management, um, that I was actually in something that was really quite unique. And I was sort of a, a leader in, in those areas. And it's been that way all the way along. And, and, you know, I just keep pivoting and uh, jumping. And I say, I literally jump from wave to wave, but I'm on that leadership edge of the wave. And then when everybody else gets on, I'm probably on to the next thing. On to it's the next. just kind of been the way that I've always been. <laughs> I mean, that's very interesting to me that you, as a very young woman, said and presumably said out loud not just like to yourself like I want to be in a leadership role that's very that's quite unusual probably it is I think some of that came from while I was in university while I was like in in, even in England there were opportunities when you took a leadership role that just appealed to me I'm not an extrovert I'm very much an introvert as a leader being an introvert you had to go about things differently. It wasn't that I was out there like connecting with the world. I was making very strategic partnerships. I was making connections, but I was demonstrating my skills. And oftentimes I had an extrovert who would partner with me and I would be leading from behind. So they would almost be perceived as the leader, but in fact, I was probably leading more, uh, ah. but they were the face of it. And so that actually has always worked to my, my advantage. But when I was in, uni- when I was in university, I, you know, I led the group for our within the faculty I was in. I also ended up on student council. I did all of those kinds of things. And I just organized because I saw the benefit of people coming together, working together and and getting an outcome. And and I was very outcome driven right from the get go. Always have been. And I Mm -hmm. think when you're very outcome driven, you tend to lead a little more because you want to see the results. And how do you do that? By getting involved. And I also uh, was very fortunate because when I moved back to Canada after England, my mother said to me, because she knew that I I wasn't into sports, um, but she said, you need to get involved in something. That's how you're going to meet people. And by getting involved and then people would have opportunities and I go, oh, well, 
I could do that. And so I think it was a way of me being able to get connections without within my introverted way, but getting connections that actually built what I wanted to see happen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm fortunate that I had that advice early on. And, you know, I go into things and like networking for me was really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned, okay, just get involved in the organization, maybe sit at the reception desk or get on a committee early on. And all of a sudden now you meet everybody and now it makes it easy. So that is a gem of a tip, I think, for listeners, particularly those who are more introverted and like networking just causes such anxiety because you're like, I have to walk into a room. There's all these people. And I guess think of it differently. It's like, well, you, you could network by actually being of service mm -hmm. and taking these roles where it's a little more clear. And also, I mean, I'm like visualizing the reception desk, people come to you. And I think that's one thing for introverts is particularly challenging. Like the idea that you're going to like march up to somebody and be like, hi, I'm Catherine, you know, is terrifying. Absolutely. And I mean, I, my experience with networking, I remember days where, you know, I would book, you know, my seat for dinner at this meeting, I would drive myself there, but I would literally be like, so anxious and making myself sick, I'd get the parking lot, I'd actually physically get sick. And I would never go inside. And I would turn oh. around and drive home. And then the next time I go, <laughs> and that was fun. <laughs> not oh. and it was expensive you know but, <laughs> but then you know but then I decided okay if I get there but I get there right at six o'clock then I literally can walk in pay my money sit down and everything happens I don't oh. have to do the networking but you would meet the few people at your table at, at your table much and more comfortable then, and then I just then one day you know somebody I because I came late so often I did this month after month that was my success and then as soon as it was finished I was out of there but you know what it was really interesting because somebody said you always come so late and I said oh my goodness I said I really get upset I are tense and anxious about networking and they said well any chance you'd like to work on the desk and I went uh, yeah I could help you what that did is a it got me out of networking but it got me meeting everybody so here was somebody who picked up on what I didn't like. They couldn't get people to work the desk because everybody wanted to do the networking. But what I ended up doing was working the desk, getting to know everybody on the inside, the organizing people, as well as the people attending. And then I ended up moving up. And in that organization, I became president-elect just in the time that I was right. there. I never became president by choice. I think, Catherine, you've given listeners not only a gem of a tip for how to handle this, but really the gift of letting go of this idea that networking by definition means mingling mm -hmm. and small talk. <laughs> and some people love that, but so many people don't. And so I just thank you. And thank you for being so honest about like being so anxious that you would get physically ill and then leave. And I know that there are listeners who are like, I've done that. Yeah. And a lot of people would never say that they did that. They would never, because who wants to, you know, that's so, anyway, that's so brave. And thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Especially like as leaders, you know, you're like, no, somehow you're supposed to magically love networking. Yeah. So many different ways. And you know what? 
I'm so committed to taking action, so committed to helping others take action, how to get the results they wanted. I've learned over the years, how do you market yourself as an, you know, as an introvert? How do you connect with people as an introvert? How do you do these things as an introvert? And how do you now pull out that slightly more extroverted part of yourself, mm -hmm. use it, and then be able to retract back into where your comfort zone is. And I think part of leadership to me is you have to be willing to push outside your comfort zone. You have to be willing to grow and to experience. And so it was part of marketing. You have to push yourself yeah. out of your comfort zone to, to really get there. And then you have to, but you have to lead yourself as well as your business and then, you know, get the results that you're looking for. So there's different components there. Yeah. And what I, and I'm also hearing how strategic you are. And um, I'm going to use the word planful, even though I'm not even sure that that's technically a word, <laughs> but because one of the things, so I skew towards being an introvert, definitely uh, more with each passing day, week and year. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I share is so going to networking events, I can, I can do it, but uh, you know, it's, I'm tired after. So one of the things that I do is plan for that, right? Because because if you, you have so much in the tank and you know that it's going to deplete you, what are you going to do after the event? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, really knowing as a leader, and we'll talk about the, the term leader and what that means, what do you need? What's the full cycle? Because it's not just showing up at the event. For extroverts, you need to plan for like, you're going to have a plummeting moment after you're like, where are all the people? I liked all the people and the people left, you know, because they gave you energy. Introverts are like, oh my God, where's, you know, where's my book? Where's my cup of tea? So just, it's a full cycle deal. It doesn't end at the end of the event or whatever. And and that's where like knowing yourself, knowing, yeah, knowing what yourself. you can do. It's not uncommon for me to go to say a live three-day event. And when we have meal breaks, I take off and go have a nap. Yeah. That's how I yeah. survive. Or you know, I find ways of, you know, like I have my breakfast in my room. So I always travel and I buy breakfast items and I have them in my room because then I can go downstairs like right on time. But I've had that morning to kind of get myself ready and I can expend the energy and then I can retract. I can have that quiet time and then I can go out again. Um, and there are some days where people go, I can't believe you, you're an introvert. Well, I can go for so long and then I crash. And every live event, whether I'm like, I, I work live events now uh, online. I, I do coaching for some of um, some people um, through their events. But you know what? The two days after the event, I have to book a really slow two days because that's my time when I'm going to crash. That's my yeah. time when I have to re find a way of recharging. And not always can I take that time completely off. My business requires me to continue, but I can take them as slow days. I might take my appointments much later or I end my day much earlier. And then I have what I call my, my downtime recharge and then I can go again. So I can turn, I've now learned that, okay, turn on that energy, then turn it off, mm -hmm. recuperate, rejuvenate, refresh yourself, and then hit, hit go again. Um, and that's just part of getting the results I want, getting, getting the results my clients need, as well as, you know, like if I'm on an event like this with a podcast, I really want to give my best. 
100% of the time? How do I show up with 100% and then be able to recharge mm. for the next time I have to do that? And, uh, you know, and it, it, you find those times, you find that energy cycle, but you do, you have to be strategic, you have to plan for it. But one of the other things that I'd like to share is that when I go to a networking event, my goal is not to meet everybody in the room. Yeah, my yeah, my important. goal may be to meet three really good connections. Yeah, that's my goal. Three go. good connections. I don't care about I mean, me more than that. But if I go to make three good connections, I feel really good. I, I haven't expended more energy or effort than what I could have the capacity to do, but I can do a really good job. I can now follow up with them. Whereas some people, they're out there to maximize the number of cards they could collect or the number of people they can talk to. And I just always say, that's never worked for me. Yeah. And an observation, which is, this isn't about good or bad. It's about how are mm -hmm. you wired? How can you show up? Because so much of leadership is how can you be fully present? Yes. So if you're somebody who's listening and you're like, well, but I'm the person who likes to gather all the cards. Great. Go gather all the cards <laughs> because, because Catherine's the Catherine's of the world need you in order to compliment. And one of the themes I'm hearing from you throughout your career is this kind of idea of leading from behind. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was curious how you got into coaching, but actually hearing you talk about your career, I'm like, this makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yes. I love this description of, of you and your work, which is if corporate teams are orchestras trying to make music, Catherine is the band leader helping them hit all the high notes, all the right notes. <laughs> I put in high notes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's all the, the high right notes, notes too. <laughs> yeah, the eyes close, whatever, syncopation, whatever's going to happen, little pauses. I love that one because it's, you know, we can see that and sort of feel it. Does that feel true to you about how you try to work with corporate teams and leaders? Yes, because I will often orchestrate how people can come together, what they can do. So I work with the leader, but I also work with each member of the team. I believe that if we can get this two-way communication, this two-way built of trust, and I, I think teamwork really doesn't in, include that, then when we can do that, my my philosophy is that as a leader, if you can build the trust, build the communication and, and, and support your team, they're going to do the same in reverse. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that firsthand, that sort of almost seemed my natural style. And now when I work with, with leaders who, you know, some have been introverts, some have been extroverts, some have been, you know, if you use the disc profiles, like some are dominance, but they're or their their dominance, but their staff may be, you know, steadies and, and conscientious. Well, they're totally different styles. They have different communication, different thinking, different operational styles. How do we bridge that gap so that we create what we want? And so for me, when I learned, I didn't have to be the leader. Yes, I had the title as director or whatever, but I didn't have to be the faith person. Yeah, you don't have to be a capital L leader to lead. No. Yeah. I could lead from behind. I could let whoever needed to be the person in the front, I could let them be in the front. That never undermined what I was capable of. And I was able to support them, assist them, direct, but in a way that was more collaborative, was more connected and got the results we were looking for. 
Yeah. Just like, just like an orchestra director does. I mean, they're directing everybody, but you know, each of those musicians knows exactly what to do and they're going to do their own thing, but they're going to keep their eye on the leader because that's what makes the beautiful music. So it makes it come together. Uh, Did you play in orchestra, by the way? No, I'm not musical at all. I was just curious. I played oboe for a really long time. Cool. Yeah, I was. I was like the most mediocre principal oboist you ever did meet. I was not particularly gifted or good, but it gives you great insight into kind of this idea of of independently doing your thing, like to independently counting, and then it all Mm -hmm. coming together, which which is which is cool, um, for sure. So we've okay. So we've definitions are important. We've used the word, you know, we talked about leadership and leaders. So one of the, and that whole basket of words, you know, there's leadership, then there's leading, leader, capital L, little L, all of these things. And I, I, I think they're all kind of a bit slippery. So one of the things that we were going back and forth on when we were introduced was this idea, you know, I wonder if leadership has a marketing problem. Before we can answer that, I think we have to define leadership. And so one of the, I study language, it's one of the things I do. And when I was looking at the idea of leadership, so etymologically speaking, if we go way, way, way back, it actually meant to see one's own way. So it had nothing to do with other people, which I find super duper fascinating because the way we hear it now, I think in general is, you know, by definition, there's like other people or by default, there's other people. So I'm very curious about like, how does that original definition land for you? And then how do you stack that up against the, you know, modern day definition and reality of, of leading? It's fairly rare to have somebody refer to, you know, I guess there's thought leadership and you can like think deep thoughts and have it not really involved with leading other people. But beyond that, I can't think of examples. So how's a stack up given your experience? Yeah, I, I think, you know, finding your own way, you have to, if you're a business owner, or if you're sort of pushing through into new areas, that's what leaders do. They find their own way. Um, and other people don't have that skill set. So if you can find your way, other people will follow behind you that sort of is natural for human nature. So if you are a thought leader, a thought leader is somebody who brings the idea of knowledge and brings it forward in a way that it demonstrates them as having found their way, having sort of demonstrated their skills and ability and their understanding on a certain topic at an elevated level. And now people want to follow that person because they see them as this expert in that one area. And so thought leadership is more than just knowing a topic. It's you've, you've almost proven it at the same time. So that's where, that's why we often hear now is, you know, are you writing books? Are you doing, you know, what kind of media exposure are you getting? What kind of work have you done? What are the results you've got? That builds your thought leadership component. But you know what, there are lots of people who are great at putting stuff out, but they're no good at implementing. I personally believe yes, yes, yes. in yes. order to be a really good leader, you not only have to be able to get the knowledge, but you have to be willing to share it and to help others to follow in your footsteps. And that to me is where we go from a leader finding their own way to a leader being is now believed to be a leader who is somebody who can help others find their right way 
through the same path or a parallel path or a perpendicular path, whatever works for them to get to the results. So, you know, if I think about teams in a business, we have our, our vision, mission, our values, our purpose in our businesses. That's what that's that supposed to be our, our guiding star. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, you, you need that North Star. When everybody kind of buys into that North Star as your, your vision and your purpose, now what happens is we work the mission. Well, as a leader, you're going to help people to work the mission, which is the how you get to your vision, which is that North Star. And it's keeping you on the right path. So as a business leader, that's what you're doing. Whether you're an employee, whether you're in a church group, whether you're in, you know, whether you're in, you know, Boy Scouts, you're still going to have that leadership capacity to be able to take you forward. And now what happens is people will follow, but your goal as a leader is to not shine above them, Mm -hmm. but to help them shine individually and collectively with you. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not separate. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that, you know, if we think about a big L leader versus a little L leader, especially now, the big L leaders implied in that is that you have positional authority. So you have the title or, you know, you're in charge of the budget or there's something about that. And I would say one of the things that gives me pause about big L leadership is that it often feels exclusive uh, and are like out of reach for certain folks. I'm thinking particularly marginalized, you know, those are marginalized communities, leaders of color that like structurally it feels out of the gate, kind of either harder to get to or, or more challenging uh, than if you're white privileged, some of these other things. So there's some like structural barriers to getting to big L leadership. And so that's, you know, when I say, does leadership have a marketing problem? Part of what I'm sort of trying to poke at is, is there a way to recast how we talk to, and I'm thinking next generation, right? So I mm-hmm. you know, teach at University of Washington. Um, so I have these students and when I think about them or channel them, like what can we be saying about leadership, big L or little L, but particularly big L, because that c- does come with some privilege. How do, we, how, do we, how do we reframe it? How can we talk about it differently and think about it differently so that, you know, down the road, there's not that sort of exclusive club feel to it. And we remove some of these structural barriers. And you know what, I think you've touched on a a topic that when when I look at impact business models, and when I look at, at how we are seeing a shift in the way that businesses are pulled together, I believe that leadership is not a title. I believe it's it's a way of being, it's a way of moving and interacting. Uh, some, there are lots of people who get promoted into leadership jobs because they were maybe the brightest or they, they were the most visible. There are lots of people who are less visible, but probably more capable. And I, what you're seeing a little bit more is that in order to get into leadership roles, particularly in businesses that are more focused on the well-being of their people within their, their, within their organization, that they're now recognizing that just because you were maybe the top salesman or you were the most visible and sat on the most committees didn't necessarily mean you were the best 
developing and nurturing the people. And what that created was silos. It created fractionalized teams. It created divisiveness. And now what we're looking at is leadership is now all about collaboration. And that takes a totally different skill set, a totally different mindset, and a totally different way of being that has, like, for me, has been my, my norm. I, I mean, I'm very fortunate living in Vancouver. I have worked with, over decades, every different cultural group I can think of, and I've had people in, in all different sectors. That, to me, became my strength. I didn't see people as beyond, okay, what's inside them? I see beyond a color of a skin or a stereotype. I've, I really work hard at trying to recognize what, what is inside, what is the quality of the content inside of the person and help bring that out. And it's been interesting because as we kind of walk through this change that we're starting to see becoming more visible, that some of the things that for me seem like such common sense is, you know what, why would that stop somebody? But now I'm recognizing, okay, it is stopping. I need to better understand that so that I can now advocate on their behalf. So I can take a leadership role as a leader for somebody else and help them get where they need to go by being an advocate and a partner rather than as that superior. Yeah. And I'm also hearing you bringing great intentionality to using your privilege because of yeah. the positions you hold and the color of your skin. And this is one thing I do. I want to sort of definitely call out that the history of race and racism in Canada is very, very different than it is in the United it States. Is. And is. so I think, you know, for listeners in Canada, because I know we have some, which makes me happy, you know, this will land differently on your ears, listeners, depending on where you grew up. And so just the history is super different. And the, the moment that we're having in the United States is going to have a, a, trickle, a trickle effect in many directions, I hope. And, and it's just it's different. And, and you know, I, 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 to I totally understand that. And it's interesting. I've had some amazing conversations with some Americans of all different nationalities or, or different ethnic backgrounds and, and whatever. And it's been really interesting for me to get more of an understanding of where they're coming from. Because as I work with people, because I work with people in the US as well as in Canada and other places, trying to get my head around how to position this, but I still come at it from let's look at how can we bring out the best of each person, and then work collaboratively to do that. And gradually by our actions, we're going to change the norms. And sometimes you know, I love that it's an open conversation now. I love that there are enough people that are wanting to see change that the people who don't want to see change are now being outvoiced. And the more that we can raise that awareness, the more we can get that common bridge, um, the better it's going to be. And, and all it takes is calling people out, 
demonstrating, walking your talk, and you really using your business as a force for good to support these things, to show people that, you know what, I can have a phenomenal business. And yes, I can have people of all different ethnicities and different colors of skin and different backgrounds. And I can still have a really strong, really cohesive team that works well and delivers what it is I need to be delivering. Yeah, and actually, to put a finer point on that, what the research would tell us is that because of that diversity, you are in fact stronger. Yes. And, and this is your, you are more profitable. You were more powerful. You were more pretty much everything that's positive in terms of business and humanity by definition of diversity. I, there's a gentleman here in the Seattle area, Mozart Guerrier, and he uh, is the executive director of an organization called 21 Progress. And he was on a panel this is a couple of years ago. And I will never forget him saying, you know, people ask me like, why are you so in favor of diversity? And I remember him saying, because there's no downside. Exactly. There's no downside. There's no downside except the downside of people individually being afraid of it. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's on each individual to, to work through. But literally all of the data will say to you, it's not like, oh, we're doing this and we're still doing well. It's like, we're doing this. And by the way, this makes us more profitable, stronger, and we're compassionate, more kind. Um, it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and the more you get to know somebody as a person, the more you interact with them, the more you understand them, the more that you realize how similar we are. And it is those, we want to celebrate our differences together, not to use them to divide us. And, you know, it's interesting. I worked with one client. I, they, I went in, I was helping the, the, the leader of that department to really improve the efficiency of their department. They, they really were fractionized, fractionalized. And when I looked at it, I thought, you know what, I have one ethnic group here. I have one ethnic group here. I have one ethnic group here. No wonder we're not chatting. And so what I did, was I literally said, we need to diversify the team. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, clunk, 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 here's my three groups. We need to break that up. We need to hire people who are not part of these ethnicities. And we need to start mixing them up. We need to cross training them so that now they have to work together. They, they have, they can, you know, they mix and match. They were like horrified that I would even think that because they thought everything was working so well because they all understood each other. Well, they had infighting within each cultural group, but then they had fighting between cultural groups. I said, it was bizarre. So I was <laughs> out is to, not working. <laughs> and I was out to break all of those silos. I was out to break all of those barriers. And that's literally what I worked with them on for six solid months to try to, you know, as somebody left, let's try to bring somebody different in and then support this new person who wasn't part of the inner circle to break into that and to be good at what they did, but to have everybody else welcome them and to understand. And now let's do that between sections of our department and within sections of the types of tasks we do. And uh, that was like, it was a big challenge. Yeah, that's, that's culture change, it is. like really deep, deep culture change. And I think there's, a, there's an important piece to mention as we think about leadership and organizational context and culture, which is historically, like we're out of whack, right? Because biologically, what we understand is how to be in tribes. Yes. And so we have a, like, in our DNA is this idea that, that we will go, there are in-groups and there are out-groups, and that helped us survive for millennia. 
So this whole idea of this strength through diversity at a biological level is kind of like newness for, for, for our brains. So I love this example that you bring up because it's like, yeah, this is new, but now in the, in the world in which we live, tribalism doesn't serve in the same way. And that doesn't mean that's not to say that there aren't, that there aren't strengths to that and obvious reasons to stay within mm -hmm. however okay. you describe tribe for you. Uh, and if we're looking at it in, in an organizational context, which I just think you have to, you know, you got to nod to like millennia of survivalism and biology and how it's playing out. And as a leader of the organization. And you want to celebrate that. You want to celebrate your origins. You want to celebrate your, your uniqueness. But then when you can bring everybody together in a diverse situation, recognize that, you know what, we all, a lot of us, like think and act and behave the same with slight differences, but there are some, a lot of commonalities in there, you know, within any, you know, if you look at like the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, they have strong leaders, they have strong communicators, they have strong, you know, everything. And so why shouldn't they be just as recognized as if it was white or Latino or, you know, Inuit or, you know, whatever, it, it doesn't matter, Chinese, Asiatic, Indian, you know, we have all of these. So I always think, okay, we can do all of this because ultimately we often have the same ideas. We just have differences. Let's celebrate those differences. But then when we can break down these silos that make me and you different, and part of that is we have to push people outside their comfort zone. And that goes both ways. And that's what human nature doesn't like to do. No. And so Catherine, I'm very curious about your thoughts. So we still were recording this under the backdrop of the global pandemic that is COVID. And there's such widespread anxiety because of that. So if we think about Maslow's hierarchy, I, I feel like, and you know, when I'm reading and listening, what seems to be emerging is, you know, a sort of across the board as individuals being lower on Maslow's hierarchy because we just don't have the, those, that basic sense of safety doesn't have to be there. And I'm curious if you're seeing like a, 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 an increased aversion or fear or whatever word you want to use to, the, to, to this idea of getting outside your comfort zone because it feels like all of us have just been kicked outside of our comfort zones in so many ways. And so, and we can't do much about it. So I'm just curious what you're seeing, if anything, in that regard. You know, I haven't seen, pe I have seen some people who are, are retracting, but interestingly enough, with the fact that we all have been kicked, this isn't any one group, this is everybody. Everybody got kicked backwards. I think what this does is open up a door of opportunity and some are walking through that door at different rates. But I think what you're gonna do is see more and more people walking through that door and the people that will get left behind up behind are the ones that aren't embracing and so it was interesting I was just uh, hearing just before we went on air is that there was a, a, a gentleman that was being interviewed and he was talking about the fact that with Black Lives Matter coming up now while we're in a pandemic has the capability of us shifting way more probably more, way more effectively and probably faster than at any time in history since, you know, slavery was like the prime, 
norm. And, and it was interesting because I'm thinking, how does that happen? And my brain kind of got thinking, but you know, I think it is because when you put people off balance, they find balance, but it's not always the same balance. It's like having a three-legged stool. You could put that third leg. It doesn't have to be in exactly the same spot. It'll just go back and it will hold you stable. So was part of what they were saying, though, that because of the global pandemic and because certain opportunities simply aren't available to us by definition, we need to be looking for different a different leg to the stool because the previous one is no longer there? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. And so, you know, when you think about it, you know, now it's like, okay, we've all been equalized in, in, in a way, not completely, but there's more of an equalization because, yes, certain certain groups have been affected more and I'm, I'm not discounting yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's important I, to say BIPOC communities. I totally, and, I totally, yeah, I totally realize that. Disproportionately but you know what? negatively every, affected. Every single country in the world is being affected. You know, some sectors more than others in the severity and in the frequency. However, what this has done is it's upset the norm because people who thought yeah. that they would be immune are not. They thought this was only for the poor or only for the blacks or only for the Asians or only for third world countries. Is that no longer can, can stand? We know that. We know that unequivocally with all of the, the, the rapidness that this happened. It didn't happen in just one country. It happened globally. This is something that has changed the whole face of what we're facing. Yeah. Now what we want to do is look at how can we put this back together like a jigsaw puzzle, but put it back together better than what we had it. And this is an opportunity for leaders in all different areas and for diversity to become so prevalent and for acceptance of diversity and to ensure that everybody's life matters and that we all have a role to play and that we all have this opportunity, all of us as leaders, anybody who sees themselves as a leader, anybody who sees themselves as wanting to have a world better than the way we found it, has an opportunity to now advocate, to demonstrate, to, to implement exactly these issues in a way that we have never, ever had before. And I, I mean, I hope that one of the things that will make that possible, because I, I would go one step further and say there's an opportunity. My one step further would be, I think there's an obligation at this point in time, like we, you can no longer deny certain things. And so if you are to lead with integrity, then it is an obligation to make sure that the jigsaw puzzle gets put back together more equitably. And I, I guess what I hope that this message, which I want to go back to is, is this idea of there's, there's, there's no downside. Like if you were in a for-profit company and you're like, what about the profits? They're going to get more. <laughs> like that's what every scrap of data is going to say. So I hope that that emboldens people because I do, I do sense and I feel, and you know, I own sometimes I still have these moments of feeling it which is because, you know, as humans, we create progress and we resist change. It's like, well, what's on the other side? What's that look like? So just knowing that, that, that it's, you know, we have proof that it's going to be better and being brave and fearless in the face of it. And, uh, and know that also we're going to stumble and get it wrong and, and that that's going to be part of the part of the journey for all of us. Right. And, you know, and I think that's important is yes, we are going to stumble. It's not going to be right. And really what we're looking at is that it, 
when we think about an impact business model, so that's a, an a impact business model is a business model where all shareholders have to be taken care of. So that's your shareholders, your employees, your customers, your suppliers, your community, and the planet. Um, the triple bottom line, which I, I, I use a little, I put my fingers together into a little triangle. That is the triple bottom line, but to me, that's a triple win. You're helping people. That's the people in your organization, the people in your community, and the people in the world. You're going to be helping your profits. What that means is that you're going to have a strong, thriving business, and you're going to use that business for good. And then you're going to also help the planet. You're no longer, is it okay for companies to use their business at the expense of everything yeah. else? Yes. And, but then the anchor point to that in my model is your purpose. If you're a purpose-driven business owner, a purpose-driven leader, you have empathy, you have a way of being, you have a way of trying to increase all of these things. So diversity, uh, pay equity, making sure people are taken care of, making sure that people have what they need. Because when you do that, you are going to build a much stronger team. That team is going to be more engaged. There's going to be less turnover. There's going to be more innovation. There's going to be better customer service. What does that do to your business? It increases your profits. Increases your profits. And by the way, it's much easier to market this. Absolutely. Because again, I feel like I'm referencing a lot of research and data today, but I will <laughs> say that, uh, and you know, this varies a little bit, but you know, 82% of consumers would prefer all things being equal. So quality being right. They would prefer to purchase from a company that has this triple win framework. By the way, I really hope that we can rebrand the idea of the triple bottom line because that feels heavy. It's like one's not enough. I need three to manage. Um, that we could go from triple bottom line to like the triple win company or something. I don't yeah. know, Catherine, I think you're onto something there. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I use all the time. Yeah. And so I always say every decision you have has to have a triple win. It has to fit that model. It has to be on purpose. It has to fit, fit in, you know, it has to have a win. Now, some things are going to have a little bit more of a balance. Sure, but, sure. But I honestly believe that when we run our businesses that way, and what the, the data has shown is that impact businesses not only attract more clients, but more loyal clients. And we all want the loyal clients because they're the ones that buy from us are less price sensitive and they become our raving fans and, and talk about us in a positive way to get more people to come. That we need to do. The communities want more impact related businesses because they want to be a part. They want their companies to be a part of the community, not just an existence that, well, I'm just here until you know, my resource runs out and then I'm, I'm off to sure. the next place where I get a tax break. But when you run your business that way, an impact business model has been demonstrated time and time again to be more resilient and more effective in every single economic condition that it faces than those businesses that are just profit driven. That's incredible, actually. So I want, I want to, underline that verbally because it's podcast <laughs> just to say you know we're hearing so much about resilience and <laughs> i think folks feeling a little bit behind the curve since this wasn't necessarily the standard mindset but just know that you that you can make the transition and that then you will become more resilient over time i think that's quite powerful 
even though maybe it feels a little daunting to folks. But you have an ebook that I think might be able to help, which is how to be a how to be a great purpose driven leader, leading on point and on purpose. Yes, yes, and and in that ebook, I talk through through what it means to be a purpose driven leader, how that that mindset of of having a purpose is sharing your purpose, working your purpose and aligning that with your team, with your company, but sticking to your own purpose will actually create that, that strength that you'll never know any other way. Okay. So folks are listening and you're like, "Uh, I don't know about that. And I, you know, lots of, we have listeners who work for nonprofits and foundations and B Corps and for-profit businesses, LLCs, all the tax statuses. And I think purpose is kind of taking on new meaning as well. It is. Uh, I had Akhtar Bacha on previous episode and he talks, he has a new book coming out and he talks a lot about shifting from the me to the we mindset, (laughs) mindset, the me to the we mindset. And this reminds me of that because he really is about, you know, all of that revolves around having common purpose, shared purpose that aligns with individual purpose. And I'm, I think we're all seeing just such a yen for that now. So we will make sure to put a link in the show notes um, to the ebook. That would be great. And, you know, it, it's, it's starting the dialogue. You know, when I say people have a purpose, this is your, like, more than just a why. This, is, this becomes your driving force. Your purpose is why you do what you do, why you want to make a difference, why you want to be a leader, and then that you want to make a difference. And there are ways we can all take that on. And it doesn't have to be really foreign. It means making tiny changes consistently to advance you forward. But you're, you're on a path that really kind of get you there. And it really does shift you from me to we. And I think the more we think about all of us collectively, as leaders, we have the ability to shift people's thinking, the way they behave, and to create that movement. And when we can create movement, we're, we're, we're engaging in positive change. Yeah. And that's ultimately, and when you think about it, B Corp, you know, which of course is, is my goal for my company is to become certified as a B Corp. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I, I help other people go through that certification process. But what it does is it helps people focus on all of those triple wins to get it into the core operation of your business. If you can get it into the core of your business, everything else just kind of grows from there. But it forces you to keep relooking at it and going back. And that's where you can create that ignition point of change and opportunity in this new reality that we're facing. And it's going to change anytime soon. So we might as well look at what we're facing. But I love that you're mentioning operationalizing all of this. So I do a lot of work with organizations drafting mission, vision, and value statements. It's kind of my bread and butter. I love them. But I love them because when, because I've seen so many times when organizations coalesce around that and it really is like, oh, you know, on the bad days where we're all going to have bad days and then your team's going to have a bad day. And the idea is that you could go back to it and sort of say, you know, remember, this is why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, and it can kind of, it can kind of see you through that. But I think, you know, a follow up conversation for another podcast is I think getting into that tactical, like, okay, that's all well and good and very aspirational. And it's in the oper- operationalizing of that. Like the, the mission, mission, value statements, I think of as kind of the tip of, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And then there's all of these things that are underneath. And so much of that is about culture change, which means, you know, 
sort of like seemingly, I'm going to say boring, but sort of things like, you know, so what's in your handbook? Like when you onboard somebody, what do you say to them? Yeah. What do they, you know, what, what is, what, when you interview them, even before you onboard them, like what does all of that look like is so important. So, but I'm mindful of time. So conversation for another day. Okay. <laughs> I like to ask every guest uh, this final question. So again, I look at words. And so the, the original meaning of the word inspire means to uh, take a breath. So it's breath in and the motivation is about taking action. So we need both inspiration and motivation. They go hand in hand. So I'm curious what inspires you and what keeps you motivated to do the work you do. I love to see people thrive. I love to pe see people thrive and do more, do better to get to be the best they possibly can. That motivates me every time I work with teams, every time I work with leaders, every time I work on anything, that almost motivates me to do it again and again and again. So I love that. So it's almost like it's an externally, internally driven motivation. It, when I do bet, when I do better, I know I've helped somebody. When other people do better, then that motivates me to help them more. So it it creates that. And what inspires me is to see people take on new challenges, take on new opportunities. That and for others to be sharing their their what they've learned in a way that we can get that knowledge out there, be, make it the norm instead of the unknown. And I want to see everyone have the opportunity. So my vision for me and my company is that every business is profitable and thriving, that it's a great place to work, and that they make an impact in the world. That is my driving force that inspires me, it motivates me in every aspect of my business. But when I'm at home, when I'm just me and not doing my business, I want to see change happen. I want to be help make it happen. And I want to help those that are struggling. And because I have that capability. So for me, it just becomes like all mixed in together. And I believe that's what inspires and motivates me to keep on going day after day. Even when I feel like somebody's kicked me in the teeth, I just, I have this resilience that just says, just get up and keep doing it. <laughs> after you've, after you've recharged in, in whatever introverted, yeah. introverted way it calls to you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? I, I can do this in my own way and I can do it. And quiet leadership often is a really cool way because a lot of times introverted leaders will do things because it's the right thing to do or it's, it's good for everybody else that it's not all things. If you can shift your leadership from not being about you. So again, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's not about you it has nothing to do with you other than you might be motivated to help make the change happen, but it's all about everybody else. And when you can shift your thinking to doing that, I think we all have the ability to get a whole lot more done a lot faster and with a lot better results. Yes, agreed. And again, if you're running a triple win operation, that is way easier to market um, ah. than something else. So, oh, Catherine, thank you so much for being here, for sharing all your wisdom. And it's been truly wonderful. Thank you listeners uh, for being here with us along for the ride as always. Do good, be well, and we will see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.